talking about the, from the Sermon on the Mount, the wonderful Beatitudes where Jesus gave us attitudes which help us to be the person that we ought to be and are expressed in actions. And we're, we're on one today that's so special. Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And this is one of the greatest utterances that anybody has ever made on this earth. It's one of the greatest truths of Scripture in all the Bible. We desperately need to understand what it means and to put it into our lives. He said, approved and blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they really will will be able to see God. Those of us who have been in our study realize that we might wonder why this was not the first of the Beatitudes, but it's because Jesus has to bring us to the place where we see the desperate need of our lives to have this purity about us that comes only from him, then we begin to understand what's really involved. In fact, I think the first three of these Beatitudes are exemplified in the practice of the fifth, sixth, and seventh ones. And it's important for us to to recognize that. But notice first that this statement of Jesus, of what we are to be, we are to be pure. And he emphasizes this. This is the goal that God has for me and for you, that we be pure in his sight. When we think about purity, we usually think about moral purity, and that's definitely involved here, but it means a lot more than that. It means more than purity of mind, body, and spirit from the sensual and the things that are not right. But it's, it's an idea that con- includes much more. The, the, the more basic idea is a sense of not being mixed with anything else. In other words, not impurity and purity mixed together, but just purity. The Greek word means it's, it's used to describe clear water, clean water, sometimes of metals that have no alloy, sometimes of grain that has uh, none of the, the, the rest of the part of the grain on it has already been taken off and no other particles, sometimes feelings that are unmixed. It's, it's used to describe that. As it is used in this passage, it carries the idea of free from every taint of evil. It means there's no mixed motives or divided loyalties to our relationship with God. It's, it really speaks of a singleness of our devotion, that we are really focused on him and single in our devotion and no one else comes close to our devotion to him, that Jesus is first, that he is Lord, that he is master. It means unmixed, unadulterated, without hypocrisy, total sincerity and integrity as opposed to everything that's false. And again, I say it has the idea of focus and concentration. And that upon which we concentrate is that what is what matters to him. Webster defines purity as freedom from foreign admixture or extraneous matter, cleanliness, freedom from foulness or dirt, freedom from guilt or the defilement of sin, freedom from any sinister or improper motives or views. And it's the quality of Christian character that God would simply define as being sincere and and there's no duplicity about us, no falseness about us. The origin of the word sincere in the Greek is an interesting one. It comes from two Latin words, and it means without wax. So what does that have to do? How do we understand it? Why would that mean without wax? Well, it grew out of an ancient practice of unscrupulous sculptures, sculptors who were fraudulently passing off imperfect work with the appearance of perfection. What they would do 
they would dab chips of wax, hot wax, in the blemishes and the little holes in their workmanship. And then when it hardened and they, they painted over it or whatever they wanted to do to it, it would look like it was okay. But of course, in hot weather or other plums, the wax would melt again and their, their fraud, fraudulent activity would be revealed. So, so what they came to use that person who is without wax is a person who's not faking anything, a person who's not trying to pretend to be something that he's not, a person who's not trying to hide something. Now, Jesus tells us where we are to be pure. He says we're to be pure in the heart. And he says, blessed are the pure in heart. The heart is more than a physical instrument that pumps blood in the Bible. It, it uses it in that sense a few times, but most of the times when we read about the heart in the Bible, it's talking about our ability to feel emotions, our ability to think and decide. It's the mind, it's the will, it's the emotions, it's all three. It has to do with the total center of personality and all that's emotional and intellectual and volitional includes everything related to that. And it's the fount out of which everything else comes. Jesus said, blessed are those who are pure, not on the surface, but in the center of their being, at the source of their very activity, in the deep of their inner personality, not just outward, but inward. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 24, whoever's going to climb the mountain of the Lord, he has to have clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands outwardly, a pure heart inwardly. David the psalmist said in Psalm 51, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the, in the inner part you will make known to me wisdom. This spiritual purity has to be deep within us. And it's not simply a creed or a doctrine, but it's much more. Jesus could see all around him evidence of a religion that was outward and moral but had really nothing to do with a relationship with God. The Pharisees of Jesus' day were interested in the outside of man. Jesus said, you're like the fellow who washes the outside of the pot but leaves the inside filthy. You look at the external, but you don't look at the internal. They were most concerned about those things which dealt with the outward, and they felt as if they did those outward things that that would be enough. But Jesus said the real test is what goes on in the heart. And he said in Matthew 15, 19, that out of the heart, Proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemous. See, the terrible, tragic fallacy is that so many people think that the trouble of man is outside of man, but it's inside of man. It's not his environment, though that plays a part, and it's not his education, though that does play a part, but primarily it's because of what's within. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9. So our trouble is really ourselves. And it's important for us to see that and to recognize it. Motives are really important. 19th century Russian novelist Turgenev put it like this. I do not know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I do know what the heart of a good man is like, and it is terrible. He was admitting that even though he wanted to be a good man and sought to be a good man in his heart, things were not always right. Now, we're going to pick that up at our next session, and we're going to talk how to be pure in heart and how, we, as we are, we can really see God. We can really know him. We can really have the relationship with him that we need to have. So I hope you'll be with me as we get back together next week and continue our study. God bless you. Have a great day.